This is Mission.org. First and foremost, believe in yourself. You can do it. You are an expert. If you have done your homework, you have the answer. So speak up. We don't often think of marketing as something that's changing the world, but it can. It definitely can. And whether it's through some amazing products and services or by creating an inclusive environment for minorities to have their voices heard, marketing is a powerful place to be. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, and today, Chief Marketing Officer of National Instruments, Anna Viegas, joins us to talk about how she was able to come to a new country and climb the ranks of some amazing brands like Dell and National Instruments by using her superpower, belief in herself. In addition to her absolutely amazing story, she talks about taking a more creative approach to a numbers-driven rebrand and how to balance ROI with a bigger picture and why you're more of an expert than you may think. Let's get to it. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Let's get into the lightning round, which is just kind of some fun questions that we okay. want to know. And for the thousands and thousands of you know listeners that are there, we are grateful for you. For those of you who are just tuning into this show for the first time, you're in for a treat, but we just want to give an acknowledgement to our sponsor, Salesforce. Salesforce is the sponsor of this show. This show would not exist without Salesforce, so we're grateful for you, Salesforce. And so if you think about marketing and engagement, you can learn a lot by going to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. They're fantastic. Let's get into the lightning round. Here we have Ana Viegas, Chief Marketing Officer at NI. And the first question is a doozy. Would you choose spicy or mild foods? I would choose mild with lime. Okay. I put lime in everything. Okay. I love it. I love it. What is a, a dream location you'd like to visit? I would like to go back to Sicily in Italy. Mm, that's on my goal. That's on my list too. Do you prefer texting or talking? Talking. I'm not from the texting generation. What's one thing that you love and appreciate about yourself? I appreciate my optimism. Mm, like Serve me good through life. Okay. What is your favorite day of the week? Oh, Friday. Okay. You knew right away on that one. <laughs> That's easy. What's your favorite city in the U.S. besides Austin? Chicago. Chicago. I went to school there. Okay. Okay. What was the last film you saw in a theater, if you can remember? 
this one always gets people. It's like, no, that, that's really hard. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I think I watched the troll movie with my daughter okay. in the theater. Okay. My daughter loves that movie, too. So, um, Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or talk to animals? Talk to animals. Great choice. <laughs> Not many CMOs choose that one, which I find out you're, you're one of... <laughs> Four now, this week, uh, seriously, this week, I've had three CMOs say that. You're the fourth one. Before, no one ever said animals. They always said language. Okay. What is your favorite holiday? Christmas. Christmas. We share that one as well. What's your favorite live concert? Shakira. Oh, where did you see Shakira? I saw her in San Antonio. When? That's amazing. That was years ago. Wow. And I'm waiting for that's next like, that's tour. That's a good one. That's a good one. A uh, scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you? I'm a seven. Okay, okay. <laughs> Please fill in the blanks. Something wise your elders taught you was? Listen. Now, I also hear that as being a primary thing that CMOs have cultivated in their, in their career is listening. It doesn't always come up, but there are moments when you ask them like, hey, what's the most important thing that you've cultivated? And they'll say, I listen. You know, and you're like, wow. You think they're going to say some strategy or some, you know, some interesting like under the table password. They listen. And it, you, you speak with folks like you who are, you know, leading marketing at the highest levels. And I love hearing that. It's like that, that translates into so many things. So that's great. Would you choose to have invisibility or super strength? Super strength. Okay. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? No. Okay. But okay. I'm not a vegetarian. Okay. Let's, me neither for the record. <laughs> um, if you weren't in marketing leadership, what would you be doing? I will be leading a nonprofit. Mm. Do you know what, what kind of nonprofit or any direction? I love this. Something to support women and kids. Mm. Okay. What would you go back and whisper in your ear, your younger self, about being a marketing leader? Have fun. No one's said that one yet. That's good. Such an important one. I yes. mean, it's so important. Okay, cool. So that was fun. Thank you for entertaining us with that. That's fantastic. You have the engineering background that somehow now translated into the marketing world. And so I do, of course, want to know, and everyone that listens will want to know, okay, why? Why the shift? Why did you choose marketing? So growing up, right, I was very clear that I want to have a career. I want to work in an office. I saw my dad leave every day to go into an office. I was like, I want to go to an office. And I was very good at math. And I really didn't have many mentors. So I said, okay, I'm good at math. And my teacher said, maybe you can be an engineer because you're very good at math. So I went, studied engineer. My last year of engineer, there is this one class that we got in marketing. I was like, okay, this last year, like I just have to check the boxes. All the rest of engineering have been so hard. And then this one class, they asked us as a final deliverable, it was all about advertising, the four Ps, et cetera. And then it was come with a proposal for a business and build all the brand campaign for you, what you're going to launch. Our idea was auto movie theater. We didn't have that in Peru. And once I was working beyond the business case in the advertising, the logo, how to bring it to life, researching what people will say about this, I just finally felt that I was putting color to my numbers. 
And I realized that I love math and I love engineering, but I'm also an artist and I love creativity and innovation. So that's how I realized that I really want to go in marketing. But then once I go into marketing, the second part was, okay, and what industry? And that answer was, I want to work for a company that's doing innovation uh-huh. and that's probably going to be within technology. And that brought me to Dell, that brought me to NI. Okay. That's awesome. It's interesting because when I think of the modern day marketer, to be a modern day, not only marketer, but a modern day CMO today in 2022, I believe that you really have to be that right brain, left brain, like you. You have that background now, you've got the left brain, you have the right brain. And I think, in my opinion, some of the brightest CMOs that I've met and connected with, they have that ability to play both sides. If you rewind the clock several years ago as a leading as a CMO, you didn't necessarily have to have both sides of the brain. Today, to be relevant, to continue to have that staying powder and to be a CMO longer than, it's such a short role for some people, right? To be in the seat. If you're in the seat for a year, that's a big deal. Two years, that's a big deal, right? To be able to stay there and be successful and lead strategy at that level, the right brain, left brain connection, it's really interesting. So that started to serve you probably pretty quickly when you started going into more marketing stuff, yeah? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that I had to be very strong on my decision because I will get, been getting several offers through my career of moving to finance, of moving to operations, right? Of moving into other areas because of all my analytic skills. Right. And I said, I want to stay in marketing. Wow. What are some of the early like things you got exposed to and learned at Dell, right? I mean, it's a huge brand in terms of the marketing side of things. What are some of the things you're getting involved in? Was it more on the demand gen side of things? Are you more on the customer experience? Are you creating campaigns in the middle? Like, where is your first kind of exposure? You're in the marketing world at Dell. What are you working on there? So my first exposure, I was very lucky because I was looking for a job and I interviewed with Dell and the only position they had available was in the team that was doing the forecasting for consumer marketing. And I was like, well, forecast is metrics. And the leader there said, Anna, in this role, you'll get to learn all the pieces of marketing because in order to forecast how many units we're going to sell, you need to understand what demand is happening, how advertising is investing their money, right? Everything. And so that was my first job. And that basically made me work with cross-functionally all the different functions, because in the end, I was the one putting the number. And then I have to make sure we hit the number, right? So it was the best experience I could have asked for. Wow. So at what point did you start to shift from individual contributor marketer into leader marketer? Was that at Dell you began to start to assume some leadership responsibilities there? So here's a little bit of a story on, on, on my career because I I moved up the rank in Peru, went all the way up to, you know, for a brokerage house, I was a CMO. And then I moved to a bigger organization and I was the director for all their B2B online products. But coming to the US, I arrived the year of September 11 and there were no work for international. There were no visas. So I had to take a step down and start as an individual contributor again at Dell wow. and move my way back up. And it took me several years wow. to get to a, a comparable role to what I had. In- what was that like having to, you know, having been the leader, 
to now having to say, okay, I'm not going to be, and then work my up for, you said more than a year, a couple few years or more. What was that experience like for you? Well, it was hard, but I, I have made the decision to come here in order to expand my responsibilities. Uh, you know, in, in Peru, your budgets, what you influence is smaller. So I knew I wanted to stay. So I think my optimism is, you know, superpower helped me well, yeah. keep it going, knowing that at some point I will make it back. Wow. But it was hard. Yeah. So what was it like, you know, you're coming to the U.S., you, English is the second language for you. You're now working at a, you know, massive tech company in Dell, lots of innovation, a lot of smart people around you. And so you now have this opportunity to of course, cultivate your own career, learn from these people. But what was it like for you, you know, building trust and rapport with other other leaders and stakeholders that maybe had been there longer or didn't have the same background? Did it feel like you were fighting your way through or did you feel like you always had this kind of opportunities and, and you stepped into the right door at the right time? I was clueless. When I started there, and I remember the first week thinking, oh my God, I am only understanding 50% of what these people are telling me because they speak so fast. And I was not used to the terms, the keywords in English, right? I've studied and worked on my life in Spanish. So I had to learn, it's been a great experience of experiencing the media minority because I have to learn how the culture works, mm -hmm. right? It was different than Peru. Mm -hmm. You have to speak up, you have to have a voice. I had to learn that network is important and you have to dedicate part of your time to network. It's it magical, it's not going to happen. I also learned that you need mentors and you have to also invest on in your mentors. So it's like, I can write a book of all the things I learned through, through the years. And back to how many years, I think going back to being a director took me six years. So it was, wow. it was not an easy climb. But yeah. once once I got there, then things began being easier because I learned, right? I knew now how to sure. navigate. I had the network. I had the mentors that, wow. I, that I needed. What kind of leader were you when you stepped into leadership at Dell? Having experience being a minority, having experience being the different person in the room, I have always been very focused on how do I care about my people, right? And how do I make sure I am listening and I'm helping them? And that has been really what, for me, has been one of my key priorities. Was there an early memory you have of maybe being in a meeting or working on with some people where you, where it was hard for you to speak up, but you did? Yes, I do. I have it. I was a Dell and I was at that point moved from the forecasting team to, I did online first and then I was in, in yeah, it was in the online team. So it was my second role, like year two, I think. And there was this meeting, right, where there was a director, the VP, and a lot of people in the room. And we were talking about the results on the website. Somebody else was presenting. And they were talking about these results, and they were showing how they have improved, and they have gone from, I don't know, let's say 10 to 20, right? And the VP said, well, is that good or not? Everybody went quiet. And I was like, I raised my hand, and I said, I think you need to normalize the numbers in order to compare apples to apples because it depends on the investment. If you invested 100 and you go 10, and then you invested 500 and you go 20, it's not good. And it was a silence, and the VP looked back at me, and eventually he became my leader. Wow. Like he, he 
school with me for the next couple of roles and he helped me prepare for that to move up, right? Because wow. I have to move like four levels to go be back to director. Wow, mm -hmm. that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I can, as you're describing that story, I'm just like, I can I can picture myself being in the boardroom and like the, the look over to you. But in that moment, like that was, that was your time. Like that was your time. Yeah. And then you, you just said, I mean, owning your power, owning your voice, speaking up in that moment led you to work with him directly, grow your career even more. And I think that's just important for other folks, certainly other, you know, minorities and other, you know, people from the Latino world and others, like someone who thinks if I'm at the table, I can use my voice. On this note, what, what advice would you give other Latinos and minorities in the corporate world? First and foremost, believe in yourself. You can do it. You are an expert. If you have done your homework, you have the answer. So speak up. The answer might not be perfect, but say it. And I give the feedback to the same to people, you know, when once we are in meetings and maybe there is somebody who I see looking, but they haven't answered. I will give that feedback and say, why didn't you say something? Uh huh. Is this something that you also share with your daughter? Yes, I do. I yeah. share with her. So important. I've always known about national instruments. So let's talk through just kind of your perspective. Where, what stage was the brand and the company at? Because the rebrand hadn't happened yet. So after 16 years at Dell, I joined and I to work for Carla Pinero, who was at that point the CMO. And really the state of NI was a company that was 44 years old that have been built with amazing inventions, right? And engineers who have created all this hardware and software that were out of this world, but it has never modernized how they talk to customers. They have never modernized the brand. So I remember going the first day into the office and there was a wall with all the advertising. And I was like, it looks like we're in the 80s. All this advertising, there's only technical products, right? There's no people. There is no benefits. It's all specs. Wow. So it made me remember Dell when I started. And then when I started looking beyond just what we were showing, but more around the functionality, like how we were generating demand, how we were building the field marketing, all the functions across marketing, it was also like frozen on time. My first reaction is wow. And my second reaction was, oh my God, this is so exciting because there is so much we can do and help this brand to move to the, mm. to the level that they should be. Because they have amazing products. Right. It's just a question of how we make sure people are aware of that. So we are representing the company mm -hmm. the way they should be represented. Was NI a brand that you sought after or did they seek you out and Dell? Like, were you interested in like, that's where I want to go? Because you could have gone a lot of places after Dell. Mm -hmm. Well, I was not looking at for a role outside of Dell. I have uh, been working for 16 yeah, years. I was doing really well in my career. I was managing, you know, all the demand generation efforts and for all the, from a small business all the way to the big uh, companies. So no need to move. But Carla approached me and said, hey, Anna, I'm taking this role. I really would like you to come for, work for me and, and build demand for this, this company. I think that you have, one chance in a lifetime to come to a company where you need to you build things from scratch. Uh -huh. You will go to any of these big companies and you will try to improvement a little right. more. But here you just get to do it at all. Wow. 
And that for me was very appealing. And then when I started learning about the company, I learned that they were not only a great company from our products and what they create, they were also helping other companies, right, B2B, create the technology of the future. So talk about electric vehicles, talk about, uh, you know, 5G and all these things. They were at the center of it all. And then the third parties, from a people angle, NI is extremely strong. People go to NI because the company is a company that is one of the top to work for, Mm -hmm. right? And they Mm -hmm. care about the people, they care about uh, the community. So all of that made me stop and think, okay, maybe this is my time. Maybe this is the, the opportunity I shouldn't let go. Wow. Was it hard to leave, Dell? It was hard. I mean, the day I told years, my leader, there, yeah. I remember I went to my car and started crying. I'm like, oh my God, I, I knew everybody there. I had the yeah. network, I had the mentors, everything. And I moved into a company where I didn't knew anybody except my leader. Wow. But and it's that's... possible. That's what the, that's my bottom line. Right. Uh, having it done it, looking back, I right. was like, ah, oh, maybe I should have done this earlier, wow. faster in my career. If you're in tech and you're at a company, a couple, few, four, five years, that's a long time in tech. You were there almost 20 years and so... <laughs> The exposure, the experience, the perception, I mean, the things you got, I mean, I just know it's like almost like a another MBA, if you will. Was rebranding already in the conversation when you joined or, or rebranding has, hadn't come up and you brought that to the table? No, rebranding, the work has started okay, and, and okay. Uh, the team briefed me on, you know, the work that has been done. We haven't launched it. So the launch was supposed to be in May of 2020 as part of our big an I event, okay. annual event. I was part of that. And then I was part on, I remember a Friday in March when they, you know, we are closing everything. And I get the call because the campaign that we're launching was all around how important it is to fail in order to build the technology of the future. That was launching May, right? And it was like, we cannot talk about failure anymore. That's it. That campaign that we were ready to launch that people have been working on for several months wow. was out the door. Wow. So yes, I was in the middle of it. <laughs> wow. Okay. What was the catalyst for the rebrand? Like, was it just old, the story needed to change, the narrative needed to change? What was the real, like the real shift? Like, why are we doing the rebrand? And then once you decided to do it, what are some of the first things that you did? So I will say that... I know we call it a rebrand, but I will say we were building the brand because the brand was a transactional type of message. I don't think it was a message around what's the purpose, right? What are we doing for our customers and how we're helping them? So all of that had to be built. That's what we call the, the rebrand. I had to figure out what is the best way to to reach our customers with, with the rebrand. How do we make sure we don't lose anybody in the process? And how do we make sure our employees support this? Because they have been, you know, loving right. national instruments for 40 years. And there they come, these people from the outside with this a new idea of an eye. So it had to be a process and it had to take a lot of effort around internal communications to make sure our employees became the cheerleaders for this effort. How did you do that? So we did it by bringing them as part of the process of having the leaders of the different areas help with a brainstorm and the input and the message. And then once we started rolling out the message, not having marketing do it all. Uh. Not having, oh yeah, we're doing a big go hands and here's marketing telling you about it. But basically 
empowering the leaders to do the rollout to their organizations wow. and have them do it through um, working sessions where they will come and talk about the values. Be kind, be bold, be a connector, and then everybody will come and say, how are you doing that in your day-to-day? -day? Okay, mm -hmm. self-person, account manager. Okay, I'm being a connector because I'm going to be doing this with my customers in the future when I'm in a meeting with them. And, you know, you go one by one, everybody has different ways to, to connect or be bold or be kind. Mm -hmm. And everybody starts getting behind what this rebrand mm, means. Okay. Was there a lot of resistance in the early, in the early, I mean, because you have, it's such a known brand. I mean, national instruments. And if you have people that are there for a long time, I'm sure maybe it was hard for some of them to like, oh, we're changing. Yes. There was resistance. I think that one of the things we want to make sure we also show was how important it was to differentiate what we were doing versus our competitors. Mm -hmm. So even from the basics of the color, we were blue. And if you did the wall test, most of them were blue. So you couldn't differentiate one versus the other. And then we really haven't had the purpose. And the purpose and the tagline that we came with with Engineer Ambitiously was also another very important component for them to understand we are really, with this effort, putting the spotlight in the engineers who are creating the products, in and I and in our customers. We are not putting the spotlight in just marketing, right? Mm -hmm. As trying to sell something. So all of those were important conversations. There had to be several reviews with the board with the leadership mm -hmm. to get where we got. It was not, wow. uh, let's do this and here is your logo and let's sure. go forward. Was, yeah, no way. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you double down on engineers because like you said, they're solving the most interesting, challenging problems. They're innovating in all of these different areas. What are some of the ways that you change the way you connected with engineers? I think the most important piece has been telling their stories and really advocating for the work they are doing, sharing the wings, right? And sometimes it's easier to say than to do it because to say it, it makes sense. But when you have dollars and everybody thinking about ROI and you say, hey, 10% of that is going to be pushing the stories of these engineers, people say, no, I want to talk about my product A safeguarding that and saying we need this to be able to get you know the effect and the changing perception of what this company is and tracking that through a brand tracker is how you start looking at this in a way that you are saying okay this is the direction we want to move in a past interview you spoke about the importance to focus more on the consumer story as opposed to the product which i think is what you're in a tech focused company like where I think it's so easy to go towards the, the towards the product side of things. Like, how do you find these stories now? And is there a specific story that really spoke to you? And how did you turn it into a like a success story, a campaign success story? So it definitely has been a process because I always say it's marketing having to market marketing. So we have been working with the business units and with sales to learn and get the stories of how they, what are their customers doing, right? How are they changing the world? How they, they are impacting society? How are they driving a different, how they're innovating? And then once we have those, I'll call it like leads, then you go and start doing the pitch and going to a customer and saying, hey, we want to tell your story. We don't want to talk about 
the product we were selling, we don't want you to talk about how we're helping you with this specific product. We want you to talk about how test is helping you create a better world. That has been the connection. And I would have to say at the start, one of the stories, and I'm going to mention it later around ventilators, it took months to be able to get approval from the lawyers because it was like, what are you talking about? And are we going to prove this? But now it's becoming to be faster because customers are starting to trust us and say, okay, yeah, you're not just trying to sell. You really want to share inspirationals. Burley Heart is a company that it's in the health industry and they actually work with FNI, you know, to build years ago, to build this product that helps babies and little kids when they have challenge with their heart to work as a temporary heart replacement or a heart support. So you can, you know, help them live wow. while they wait for a heart transplant. Wow. So we had this story and we partner right and said, okay, how do we bring the story to life? And we basically focus it in two kids, two little girls who have gone through the experience and how, how it had changed and helped them really live. And the engineers at Berlin Heart had to tell right, their story of how they came with the idea and how they innovate, etc. So that was a very powerful story. And in addition, uh, one of the girls' dads was an NI employee. Um, wow. So he, he connected how for him, he, he saw NI and how important NI was, but he didn't realize it until his daughter had this problem. And he's like, oh my God, her, her life is being saved because of Berlin Hart and because of NI. Wow, that's amazing. Because to me, you and the NI family, you sit at this intersection of all of this innovation and all of these different industries. So you have this perspective about you're serving them in really interesting ways that gives you visibility that a lot of people don't have. What are you learning sitting in that and seeing the way the world is changing and shifting? So yes, there's some of these innovation you're talking about five, 10 years from now, but they have to test the prototypes now. So absolutely, I have, you know, visibility to those things. One of the things that for me have been super fascinating and I'm very passionate about is how companies are starting to think about how their products can evolve and help with diversity and inclusion. An example, you have, you know, going into space. But going into space and an astronaut have been until now a test on how you get there, etc. As you start making these available to more people, you know, five, ten years, you can also think about how will this enable you to instead of just thinking I need a fit five foot person, it doesn't matter how much you weigh. It doesn't matter if you, how much, how, how tall you are, right? It doesn't matter. All of that gets neutralized when you are in space. So how do you help what you're creating here to help you people experience different type of environments and help you have different ways of approaching diversity because they, they can be part of this right. uh, future. How are you making your team an inclusive and diverse environment? We have done couple of times the exercise of understanding our different type of traits and personalities. And I always want to make sure that we bring a mix of personalities. So as I hire a new person in, in my team or the people who report to me, I always want to find somebody who complements everybody else. 
Mm. Like if everybody are what we call super analytical and blue, adding somebody who is like that will not help, right? Mm -hmm. So it's always how do you balance? Because the more different point of views and a little bit sometimes of stress in the system because people have different point of views, yes. the better. That's yes. where that great ideas come from. So we had, do you know Mark Papermaster? He's the CTO of AMD and he's here in Austin. He spoke about how at AMD, they literally just do what you described. They call it creative contention, where they specifically bring people that have different opinions, different views. They know they may disagree. You know, sometimes it might get a little heated even. He's like, if you hear some of our meetings, you're thinking it's going crazy in there. But he's like, that's how we're able to stay five years ahead. You don't hear a lot of that a lot. And then you just confirm that of like making sure you you bring diversity into the meeting. You bring you, diversity of thought as well as ideas and things like that. That's amazing. Your target consumer engineers, I feel, especially come from more diverse backgrounds. How does heritage and culture affect your marketing campaign? So I think that for me, the amazing part of building marketing in a company that was that needed to modernize is you get to build things that in other companies have already been produced. And we all have really approached it with the lens of diversity and inclusion. You know, as we think about the message, that's having very important for us. The other pieces we partner with the diversity and inclusion leader at NI to build as part of the campaign, we bring also some pieces that talk about different NI employees. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to just showcase the diversity of our workforce. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I do think it's, it's very important. And then the other piece around diversity and inclusion is, I don't think if all the companies, but at NI, corporate responsibility, corporate impact sits within marketing. Ah. So I did a conscious decision last year when I took the CMO role to combine brand and corporate impact under the same leader. Wow. You don't always see that. No, I don't always see that. That's so when you're talking about a campaign and the content, then the same person that's, that's deciding what the brand is going to be talking about is saying, well, we need to include diversity. We need wow. to include you know, social responsibility. Wow, that's amazing. What struggles do you have making sure that your marketing efforts aren't too focused on the product? Um, well, I think that main struggle as any RCMO is the ROI, right? Because it's like, okay, tell me the ROI of the run campaign. It's always the first question mm -hmm. you, you mm -hmm. hear when you are not talking about a product because product is easier demand and you will generate revenue quickly. Brand will be longer. I have been working as part of, of the plan to make sure I clearly articulate, this is how much we're investing in brand versus how much we're investing in demand and product. So there is not, uh, well, we should just do all product, right? But it is part of my daily mm -hmm. battle. Yeah. Especially I, with stakeholders. Right. What What's your perspective now on hiring someone on the marketing side, in, from either internally or hiring an agency do you like to cultivate internal growth or, or hire people from the outside in? Or do you like to hire agencies and partners? And what's that look like for you? Both, like a hybrid. Uh -huh. So we have, you know, I have an organization with the different functions in marketing, but we also relay in agencies for expertise that are moving fast. By example, we have an events team, but we are partnering with an external company because they have new and innovative ideas they are testing right now in this hybrid world that nobody else is doing. 
So I, I, I do think that everybody wins if you do this type of partnership because my events team learns and develop skills that they don't have. And then at the same time, we, we get our customer who get to experience something different because we brought this external point of view. Have live events been a big part of the, of the marketing mix in the past? It used to be a huge part, probably 50% of budget, and it was all in person. So on, again, on that March, it was like, okay, changed, I yeah. want the plan because we are not doing more in person. Yeah, We had to move all into virtual and we have then to figure out what was the best mix for events. It's not 50% anymore. It's, it's less. We move into digital, right? And uh, we've moved into content creation. Mm -hmm. I think now it's probably more around 20. Okay. Are you doing hybrid kind of events where like virtual and in-person like together? What's, what's some of the events? What do they look like now? We've been doing virtual. We are going to be doing our first in-person event in May called yeah. NI Connect. Okay. And we will have 800 people in that event here in Austin. Yes. That's the first in-person. We're very excited. So your, your company has worked with a lot of really cool things like autonomous vehicles, 5G, 6G, aerospace, and a lot more. What's been the most exciting project NI has worked on to you? I think one of the most rewarding projects was NI helping with the ventilators, accelerating the production of ventilators in a safe way, right? Because we needed to do the test. And there were three companies we worked with. Uh, it was Bentec, Valentium, and GM. And they had these big challenge that, right, that they got from, from the government saying, we need to push up this production. I think one of their areas was doing 200 ventilators and they needed to move it to 10,000 ventilators. Wow. So seeing how the team remotely was able to help them to do the test, to enable the remote views and, and, and sessions, and then have seen them be successful and help them save lives, was something that told me, oh my God, I did just this company and what we are doing is really making a difference. That's amazing. So the engineering world has seen a lot of forced change due to the pandemic and shifting to remote environments. What innovations have you found to be most helpful to testing new products for clients? So there's a couple of innovations that have been super helpful. One of them was we have a software called System Links that enables a company that have manufacturing to check and track if the manufacturing, you know, all the process and the production is working without any glitches. We had this capability, but people in manufacturing will go to the company, right? But once the pandemic hit, we realized that companies, their executive or the leaders couldn't go to the plant, only the people who were doing the production. So that's when we started talking about this capability wow. and saying, hey, you guys, you have it already. You should use it, right? Because this is the way you can track and make sure that your production doesn't get disrupted. Wow. So that was one of the cool, I think, uh, inventions that prove how critical it was in the pandemic. And another, I think, area is the hardware in the loop, which is a process where you basically uh, create this environment to test remotely. And it's been used by the electric vehicles. And we actually acquire a company, Monodrive, that has this, where 
you basically, instead of having a car, right, having to be tested on the road, you do all the simulation and the car thinks that they are on the road, mm -hmm. but their car is really being, you know, tested internally. So again, you can produce and test and create your prototypes all virtually wow. without having to get the car and get it in on the road, right? And getting all these tests going. So that was another one that I think is being huge to accelerate what's happening. And, you know, we talk about electric vehicles, but already the companies are testing electric airplanes. Mm, wow. On that mic drop, I, I, <laughs> I, that's amazing. Anna, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for being here. I also sense in you, you're very grateful for your journey and your path, which I think also is a testament to not where you're at, but also, I mean, your story's not done. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was an honor to be here. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.